lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace, Todd Erzin. Aaron McIntyre, they're here with me, as are all of you, at 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program if you so desire. That is D-E-A-C-E, and lately a lot of you have been desiring to do so. You can uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stevedace. Follow us on Twitter at Show. We are at stevedace on Parler. And then our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. That's where you can go to get free samples of this show for yourself and then to share with others. Coming up here on this Thursday, Theology Thursday, coming your way next hour. And we're going to take a look at the controversy surrounding Sage Steele and ESPN from a theological perspective. We're going to do that coming up next hour. We're going to look at the racialist agenda in America, but from the opposite end of the of of the direction that we usually are forced uh to uh, to encounter it also three non-political questions you do have some of those right i do i was just okay. taken aback as racialist that is that a real term it's it, it should be we haven't That's used a great... yeah we haven't used it on this show in the, in a while yeah. But we used to use terms like that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Um, and then um, what else? Oh, uh, the bottom of this hour, Ned Ryan from American Greatness will join us. He's got a battle plan for how he thinks conservatives ought to engage the process in the the era and now we which the era in which we now live. Easy for me to say. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by a surge. I am announcing that the Department of Justice will immediately surge federal law enforcement to the city of Chicago. The FBI, ATF, DEA, U.S. Marshal Service, and Homeland Security will together be sending hundreds of skilled law enforcement officers to Chicago to help drive down violent crime. Yes, President Trump is finally sending in federal law enforcement to attempt to put an end to widespread violence on American streets, particularly in Chicago. From any standpoint, the effort to shut down policing in their own communities has led to a shocking explosion of shootings, killings, murders, and heinous crimes of violence. This bloodshed must end. This bloodshed will end. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot isn't happy. That if you see something that doesn't look right, please don't hesitate to report it. Call 911. Call 311. We are going to remain diligent. And if we see any steps out of line, particularly with DHS or Border Patrol, we are not going to hesitate to take the president to court. Leftist Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler headed out to the streets of his fine town for what he probably hoped would be a great photo op with Black Lives Matter and Antifa anarchists. It didn't go the way he expected. Ted Wheeler! Yeah, 
Speaking of Black Lives Matter, charges are pending against a 20-year-old man from Springfield, Ohio, named Isaiah Jackson after a photo circulated online of him kneeling on a terrified white toddler's neck whose arms were being held behind his back by another individual with the caption reading, BLM Now MF. Back to COVID madness, the Lancet Journal, which has largely been on the side of team lockdown for the past few months, released a countrywide analysis of lockdowns and found, surprise, that they aren't associated with a lower mortality rate from COVID. Also across the pond, Irish columnist John Waters spoke out against mandated masking, and I think he gets it. The mask is a way of denying the very human face of the person. It is a way of taking away the individual, unique humanity of each person and turning us all into zombies and restoring us to a kind of animal state so that we no longer will look at each other coming down the street as Tom or Mick or Mary, my friend, my sister, my brother, but instead as a, as a, as a, a festering mess of bacteria and viruses, which is a danger to my health. Oh! You know, I have to get out of the way. This is what they are turning the human person into. Meanwhile, back stateside, Republican Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is making it illegal for those above the age of 10 years to be out and about in public without a face mask. Starting today, Republican Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb is also joining the ranks of the mandatory mask states, as he announced yesterday. President Trump also made this announcement. Today, my administration reached a historic agreement with Pfizer to produce and deliver 100 million doses of their vaccine immediately following its approval. Hopefully, the approval process will go very quickly. Checking in on Joe Biden. Nurses at uh, Walter Reed Hospital who would bend down and whisper in my ear. Wow. They'd go home and get me pillows. They would make sure they'd actually, probably nothing ever taught in, uh, you can't do it in the COVID time, but they'd actually breathe in my nostrils to make me move, to get, get me moving. In another online appearance, he said this. He's blaming everything on, 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 on China. He's blaming everything on the Chinese. He's blaming everything. And people don't make a distinction. As you well know, from a South Korean and, a, and someone from Beijing. They make no distinction. It's Asia. And finally, a law firm for the year 2020, courtesy of Nicole Arbor. Did words on the internet hurt your feels? Did no one attend the march that you set up? Did you cancel someone, but they kept on living? Then you need SJ and W. Tweets you don't agree with, assault. Memes you don't agree with, assault. Anything that you might not like does in fact constitute assault. Your rights matter more than anyone else's, and your feelings should be taken as facts because you're offended. On behalf of everyone and anything, in lieu of having a personality. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> nice. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by... And by the way, was Joe Biden just saying all Asians look alike? Pretty much. Well, he was saying that uh, nobody makes distinctions while not making any distinctions. Yes. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our new friend at ScoreMaster. Created by credit data scientist, the average ScoreMaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. Not a couple of points, but 61. One person recently raised their score 102 points in just 11 days. Another 53 points in 17 days. ScoreMaster is the new science that super boosts your credit score faster and easier than anything you've tried before because it puts 
puts you in control of your credit score. It's how you add points to your score and fast. Having your best credit score helps every area of your life, getting a home loan, buying a car, refinancing, even getting a job these days. You should have the power, not the banks, and ScoreMaster puts you in control. You can enroll in minutes and see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. You'll be shocked at how fast you can do it. Just visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. Scoremaster.com slash Steve. In the overtime today, you know, we've had several conversations over the last few months about bringing sports back. And it seems right now there's a unique divisiveness or conversation of pushback against bringing back college football compared to other sports. And I've seen people that are pushing back on this. I've seen Clay Travis say that in his view, it's because this is the last remaining win. What's he called them? The Corona Bros. Yeah. This is the last remaining win on the sports calendar this year left for the Corona Bros. They lost soccer. They lost golf. They lost bowling. They lost high school sports in many states. They've lost Major League Baseball beginning today. The NBA starting next week. The NFL opens training camps next week. All right. And so this is their last remaining win. I, I... that's possible. But the hearing that was held yesterday over name, image, and likeness in, in the U.S. Senate with uh, administrators, the head of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, administrators from around the country, there was, there was one moment there from the athletic director at the University of Pittsburgh where she clearly advocated for something she knows has 0%, 0.0, and no, Dumb and Dumber, I'm not saying there's a chance. A 0.0 to infinity and beyond zero percent chance of occurring. Never going to happen in a million years. And yet she verbalized this as a policy request. And, and when I heard about this yesterday, epiphany. There's another angle to, to why there's a unique challenge with college football. And we're going to get into that in the overtime today. But here's a spoiler. It has nothing to do with health. Nothing. We'll get into that later today in the overtime. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you can go to subscribe to Blaze TV right now so you don't miss the overtime today. Get a discounted subscription at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. And you guys don't know what this is because I haven't told you. Correct. Right? And so there's a reason why. Unlike, you know, when we study masks, I would like a control group to get real feedback. All right. So I've not told you guys yet what the angle I'm going to take with this. You don't need to. You had me at it doesn't have anything to do with health. I get it. (laughs) All right. But, uh, but that means I'm going to get an erstwhile honest answer from you too. All right. On this. All right. Let's, let's get to the montage. Um, a few things. Number one, Pfizer's not producing a vaccine for free. This assumes that they can even produce a vaccine with any reasonable efficacy. They're not producing it for free. The government already paid them a billion and a half. Where did the government get its money? Uh, Obama's stash. Yes, they got it from you and I. You've already paid for this vaccine. If it ever happens. I mean, last week, last week, the Trump administration gave a billion dollars for a vaccine to a company that hasn't even brought a product to market yet. In their history, haven't done so. So a great track record. Yes. They have brought as many vaccines to market as I have. As Todd, who is an anti-vaxxer conspiracist, has brought to market 
All right. He, they, he has brought as many vaccines to market as this company that the Trump administration gave over a billion dollars to last week or maybe it was the week before. Zero products to market. They were given a billion. All right. So now Pfizer's got a little bit more of a track record, obviously, but they haven't produced an efficacious vaccine yet. There's no guarantee that they ever will. As I've told you a million times, we've we've never produced a vaccine for a coronavirus in human history. And it ain't like we've tried because most of your common colds are what kind of virus, gentlemen? Coronavirus. Coronaviruses. Rhinoenterovirus, but a yeah. lot of corona. Yeah. And so it, it's we've been trying to do this for decades. They tried for over 12 years to create a vaccine for the first SARS. They were unable to do it and then eventually gave up. By the end of August, the virus just had burned itself out and was gone. Until it was produced in a second wave starting in the hospitals of Canada indoors. That was where the second SARS-1 wave began. I feel like I've been, I've said these things before, right? No, you guys have never heard this stuff before? No. No, this is all original never, right? All right, so I just, I, I needed to correct that, okay? But the Steve Day Show taketh away and the Steve Day Show giveth. I am all in on the president sending in what it, well, he's is he? What's the word? He's not calling them troops, right? He's he's ATF, a, yeah, yeah federal agents, federal agents, yeah, yes. Yeah. But I'm US all Marshals. for this, oh. all for this. And if anything, it should have been done over a month ago. And it's precisely because I am a federalist that I am for this. A state and local government doesn't have the right or the authority to not protect and defend your God-given rights. Your property in places like Portland, Oregon, have been getting destroyed now for 55 days in a row. The Bill of Rights to the U.S. Constitution says no person shall be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. These aren't adjudicated lawful confiscations and destructions, condemnations of your property. They're riotous mobs, insurgents, domestic terrorists. And if the local officials will not do their job and the state officials will not do theirs, then by all means, the feds should do the job. If you are arguing today against this on the right, then you are on the side of the segregationists in the 50s and the 60s and said, hey, no way should should Eisenhower have sent the feds in to desegregate these states. But he was right to do so. Why? Because the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says that there should be equal protection under the law. And these were American citizens that were not being given that equal protection, and their local and state governments would not protect their constitutional rights. See, federalism is supposed to work both ways here. It is not just about limiting the power of the federal government. In fact, federalism isn't about limiting the power of the federal government at all. It's not. Federalism is about protecting your God-given rights. We don't limit the jurisdictional authority of the federal government so that your rights go unprotected, but so that they do. And the man over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue took an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of these United States against all enemies, both foreign and what? Domestic. Domestic. 
These are domestic enemies to the Constitution. And if anything, he should only be criticized for having not done this earlier. This is the best move he's made in at least six months. This is the best move he's made since closing China travel on January the 31st. It's the best move he's made since then. If you are, if you're, if you're criticizing this on the grounds of federalism, you're not for federalism. You may not even, you may, you, you may not be a bad person. You're just not for what you claim. You're for something else. Federalism works both ways. You don't send taxes to Washington so that they sit on their hands and do nothing while, by the way, they're sending all these grants and funds to these state governments that aren't defending your rights. That's your money, too. And have your property destroyed and your lives endangered. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. There have been numerous statutes put on the books in the history of this republic that have clarified, yes, absolutely. When we have insurgencies going on domestically, if the local and state governments will not do their jobs, then the feds, it is their job to do it. And vice versa. I'm being the one, I'm the one being consistent here. I thought the state of Arizona 10 years ago, if the feds weren't going to protect the borders to the south in the Obama years and just let it get overrun by drug cartels and illegal aliens, I thought absolutely Jan Brewer was right to say, hey, if the feds won't do their job, we'll defend the borders of Arizona. Then it falls on us because we're the ones left to pay the freight when they don't do theirs. And then John Roberts said, no, 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 no. Only the feds can defend the border. Well, then what happens if they don't? Sucks to be you. No, see, this is supposed to work both ways. These jurisdictional authorities were created by the founders not to limit one another, but to maximize you as an individual, to protect your God-given rights, your individual autonomy. We limit government jurisdiction when it gets in the way of that. We, on the other hand, we fully deploy it when it's when it gets in when when not doing so gets in the way of your god-given rights and liberties at the same exact time so amen and may justice roll on like a river righteousness like a mighty stream bring the pain to every one of these rioters insurgents and domestic terrorists every single one of them the maximum power and authority of these united states should be visited upon them as would be visited upon any other invading army that spoke another language or came from another culture custom or geographic boundary treat them accordingly The study over at the Lancet, which is, again, partially funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, that, that is not surprising to anybody, especially the people pushing the lockdown narrative. They know this. They've known this all along. Because it's not about saving lives. It's about owning your life. In fact, what the Lancet study found was the original justification for why we did things we originally did a 15-day lockdown to do what flatten the curve flatten the curve so that what would not occur hospitals would not be yes overwhelmed. the lancet study says that that short-term lockdowns can help to salvage healthcare systems from being overrun that's exactly what we were going to originally do right correct was that not the original plan yep but the idea that you can do this long term 
to snuff out a virus, crush it, or save lives, the Lancet study says that's, that doesn't work. And now you're seeing it. I go back to a study that was done that we had on this show way back in March, I think it was, early April, from researchers at the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon. Do you guys remember this study? Sure. And what it, what it did is it called BS on these lockdown uh, models because it kept pointing out, eventually when you let people out and they, ha- they, have, they don't have natural, or what we call now herd immunity, but natural immunity, if they don't have that and you let, once you let all these people out that were not exposed and never infected without natural immunity, we're going to then see see what and more waves they're going to get infected that's exactly what's going on right now with the new cases even beyond just the accounting errors and all the other scams we're seeing if you even if you eliminate all of that you are seeing a surge in new cases now we can debate what the rate of that is that is certainly debatable but the, the the premise is not you are seeing a surge in new cases but you're seeing a surge for all the reasons that were predicted all along Eventually, you're going to let people out that never were exposed to this, didn't have natural immunity, and they're going to get exposed to it. This is just simple biology, virology, guys. That's all. Which we just, you know, threw all that stuff out the window. You're seeing Sweden play out. Yes. That's why there won't be this in Sweden. That's why Australia... Remember, remember Australia was the model with this draconian lockdown and the virus was gone. And look at what's going on with Sweden as their epidemiological curve continues to, to, to climb. Meanwhile, Sweden's epidemiological curve is now subterranean. And Australia, Melbourne, back in lockdown as of yesterday, I think it was, or a couple days ago. Israel, looking at going, which had the dumbest, worst lockdown of them all, may go back into lockdown because they let everybody out without natural immunity and what happens particularly in a country where in in that country where they're all on top of each other it's about what the size of new hampshire from a square footage standpoint or something like that all the stuff we told you back in march and april were going to happen if we kept doing this for a long period of time is what's going on right now you just let all these people out well what uh, yeah but that by the way i that's why i wanted them to be let out We told you months ago, the longer we stay locked in, we're putting off the natural immunity we have to have. Unless your plan was just stay locked down forever until there's a vaccine we may never have. Again, is this another show I feel like I've done before? Am I, is this, put on the description for this when you put it on the socials, the Deja Vu program. I just feel like we're just doing like a greatest hits, like we've done all these shows. Everything we've said for months is all just what's coming true now. Not because we're smarter than everybody else, because we actually did listen to the experts. We did. And we reported back to you what the experts said, the non-politicized ones, the ones that weren't in on the scamdemic here, for whatever reason. We were always going to see a surge in cases unless we got lucky. And when we had the reopening, the virus died out like we saw in the first SARS. Now, it still may. We're actually, if you go back to the first stars, we're entering into the time period now when it began to die out. And it was from the last week of July to the very end of August that the WHO 15 years ago began uh, pulling back, rescinding the travel restrictions to various countries. And Taiwan, which WHO hated even back then, was the very last country that it rescinded the travel restriction to. And the, like, I think it was like on August 31st or something like that. This is why we needed everybody let out. 
so that the healthier people would get exposed and we could get to natural herd immunity. Because we obviously cannot keep a nation of 331 million people shut down on the hopes that we will finally do something that's never been accomplished despite all of our medical advances. An efficacious, effective vaccine for a coronavirus. We haven't been able to do it in 70 years. You can't just keep a country of 331 million people that feeds the whole damn world, by the way. That is responsible for virtually every new technological innovation on this planet in the last 150 years. You cannot keep it shut down on the hope that one day a vaccine will occur when we've never, ever been able to inoculate this particular strand of virus. You can't do it. So then there was only one other way out. Natural herd immunity. If we were not being politicized right now, and we're being politicized, unfortunately, on both sides of this now, because the White House now, as much as I'm all in on them bringing in, sending in uh, the, the adults to quell these domestic terrorists, when you've got Kellyanne Conway, and I like Kellyanne Conway a lot, okay? I know her, but I'm, I just, no way. I'd call BS if I was in, if I was in the press room. What she said out there yesterday, this is happening because states reopened. Texas reopened on May 1st. What was this epidemiological curve three weeks later, four weeks later, five weeks later, six weeks later, seven weeks later? Do you guys remember it was before the riots that ABC News did the survey of all the states that reopened and found no substantive increase in cases and deaths? Do you guys remember that? Do. What changed from mid-June till now? The memory hole got bigger. The memory hole got bigger. The riots happened. Border states start reopening to, to dual citizens and nationalists and people with green cards and migrant workers. Sun, last Sunday, I believe, set a record for deaths in Texas. It was either 103 or 93. I don't remember the exact number. And the border counties in Texas, which represent something like 9% of the state's population, were responsible for 46% of those deaths. 46% of them. Of that record death day in Texas last Sunday came from deaths in the border counties, where less than 10% of the state's population resides in a state of 30, 30 million people. So now we're getting this from both ends now. We're getting panic porn on the, on the other hand, and then we're getting lockdowns work from the White House. They don't. They don't work. That's why all the countries that had some of the worst lockdowns, Israel, Australia, are now looking at having to do it again, which will just compound the mistake all the more. This won't be the... I, I'll, I'll predict this. If they do a second lockdown... Unless they get lucky and the virus dies out in the heat of summer like it did in the first SARS, they'll do a third and a fourth because they're putting off the inevitable. Or the other way is we do finally actually get a vaccine that works for a coronavirus. Not when they say that works, actually works. Not a flu vaccine either that fails up to 50% depending on the strain every year. A real inoculation. If they cannot come up with a real inoculation or the virus doesn't die here in the heat of summer like the first SARS did, then the countries that are looking at second lockdowns will do other lockdowns because they're just putting off science. They're just putting off the natural herd immunity. They'll have the same problem again when they let everybody out again. They'll have the same problem again if the virus doesn't just go away or they don't have a real inoculator. That's just science, guys.
science. On the masks, here's riddle me this. If, if masks are the panacea we are being sold, then why are hospitals around the country, including in Texas, going back into no visitation mode? The hospitals here in Des Moines just announced this in Polk County. Limited visitations. Why? If masks truly pr- prevent the rate of infection in the general population, explain to me why they wouldn't do so in a hospital. How is it possible that masks are not effective enough in hospitals to the point that they need to socially distance and limit visitors for people who are sick, maybe even on their deathbeds, but they're the panacea for the general population of 330 million people. Can you explain that to me? If the mask doesn't work in a hospital, tell me where the hell it does work. If it doesn't work in a hospital, where does it work? If I'm not safe to see a loved one on their deathbed or, or gravely ill or, or, or a daughter that just gave birth to my grandchild... If I'm not safe to do that wearing a mask in a hospital, tell me why the mask is saving me at Walmart and Costco, at Disney World, at a ball game. If it doesn't work at a hospital, where does it work? That's what the Irish guy wants to know. Indeed. Listen, I'm not the one saying they don't work. You people putting the policies in place, you are. You're telling people like me they don't work, that you don't really trust them. Because you're the ones responsible for these glaring contradictions, not me. Deborah could not believe that this happened to her. It is called home title fraud, and she didn't learn about it until it was too late. It's a devastating crime that can cost you your home, and title fraud is not, repeat, not covered by your homeowner's insurance. One way I know of to protect this from happening to you is to go to Home Title Lock, where cyber thieves have discovered the titles to our homes are kept online, so they forge your name on your on your deed, stating that you sold your home to them. And they refile as the new owner. And in Deborah's case, she didn't even know about this until it happened. And the eviction notice arrived. Home Title Lock will put a virtual barrier, though, around your home's title so this doesn't happen to you. And the instant they detect any tampering, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it yet at HomeTitleLock.com. And then while you are there, use the promo code Steve for 30 free days of protection. That's the promo code Steve for 30 free pre- 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Ned Ryan is with American Greatness. He wrote a column over there I found interesting last week. A new right grounded in insurgency thinking. Conservatism Inc. has been weighed in the balance and found wanting to continue investing in it despite its dismal record is the very definition of insanity. And we welcome Ned to, to Blaze TV radio and podcast. Ned, my name is Steve Days. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? Absolutely. Good to be with you, Steve. So let's let's define our terms first and foremost, okay? Let's define what's conservatism inc. first. What and who is that? Yeah. You know, it really is a lot of these these Washington DC based think tanks. I address it in this piece where Heritage AEI and Cato Institute between two thousand one and twenty eighteen combined raised two point four five billion. 
that doesn't include their investments, doesn't include their property value. And for what, Steve? I mean, this is something that I think we're seeing, especially now that they have been weighed in the balance and found wanting uh, in regards to this very aggressive antagonistic left. They're not set up to actually fight and defeat the left. And this is why I, I say we're never going to beat the left on institution building. We should stop. We should disabuse ourselves of that and actually having a more insurgency thinking uh, and, and how we approach building the conservative movement moving forward. And again, I call it the new right. Let's leave behind what we've done for the last four or five decades and have a new approach, a new strategy and really fund those things that I think will ultimately lead us to victory. If you look at, I mean, obviously, in any any form of a war, you, you have to have a supply chain, right? And that's, that's, right. that's true of a culture war, too. You have to have a supply chain. And, and, so, and that requires resources. So, so in this case, how do you get your ideas, your talking points, your narrative? How do you dispatch that through your supply chain to its, its intended uh, you know, troop deployment, right? Okay. And if you look at the dawn of the conservative movement, a guy who's a friend of mine and been a bit of a mentor to me, Richard Vigory. Uh, is a guy that kind of created the direct mail fundraising apparatus that funded most of the conservative. That's why he's called the funding father of it. That that was borrowed by every conservative group for years because we didn't have any institutions. We had to do this totally as an insurgency in the 60s, 70s, and well into the 80s. And it was only with the ascendancy of Ronald Reagan that you began to see this become more of an institutionalized process. What you just described, though, with some of those big names, I don't think it's unique to them. I mean, I could do this as a Christian conservative and i know this from working on presidential campaigns and covering them the amount of these organizations that have huge conferences in washington and everywhere else that's like right. and they but i can tell you i can't find it working on the ted cruz campaign in 2016 i can't point to one person that faith and freedom coalition moved one vote for us and they hold all that, that, these these events and everything else so i think that this is an institutional thinking in our movement give a bunch of money to these organizations in dc but then you don't ever see any policy or election outcome based off of whatever money you sent them. Yeah, we, we, we've completely lost the real metrics of what success looks like. It's not a new brand new building. It's not being able to exceed your fundraising goals. It's not hiring new staff. We've lost the fact that it's about winning. We actually are putting money into these things so we can actually win. And I think part of the problem too, Steve, and I've actually talked with, with some of the gatekeepers, obviously I run a nonprofit, American Majority, talked with some of the gatekeepers where there's this mindset with donors that as soon as they write the check, the, the, the thing is accomplished. Mm-hmm. What they gave money towards is accomplished. There's no real follow-up. And so I think part of the problem we have to deal with, first of all, is understanding how we actually address and have real accountability and some transparency. And it comes from the donors, where the donors demand accountability. What have you actually done with my money? Are there the right metrics in place to actually achieve success? Because what's going on right now, I mean, literally, I, and I, I'm very blunt with the think tanks, most of those white papers are basically fire starter material. I wanna see real think tanks that are doing something that will be meaningful. For example, in this piece I wrote about how do we put together a real plan on how you break apart the administrative state over four years and shrink it by 40%, put out a real game plan step by step by step. So I think that's part of it, demanding accountability, donors demanding accountability, putting in place real things. I also make this point too, Steve, there has to be some point where we say we do need intellectual ammunition, as you were referring to. You can do it for a lot less. You can do online think tanks that are run by some very smart people. I've gone through, I've had these conversations where you can provide intellectual ammunition. 
but you only need governing papers when you've actually won. We're nowhere near winning as conservatives in regards to actually running D.C. or running a lot of the various states. We have to actually win before we need this over, I think, investment into governing white papers and how you actually govern. I will say this. The problem that I have with a lot of the current conservative movement it's not nearly aggressive enough. The left is on the move. They are deeply aggressive. We need to actually look at how we restructure to be more aggressive in response. And that's why I write about some of the PT boat approach. I, I would encourage people go back and read Malcolm Gladwell's How David Beats Goliath. And it comes from obviously the biblical story where David and Goliath meet. Guess what David did? He played by his own rules. He didn't wait for Goliath. He ran. And it says in scripture, Steve, he ran quickly at Goliath. And as you think about it, it froze it froze Goliath, gave him a stationary target. The rest is history. Mm -hmm. But it was an aggressive approach where he ran at the enemy. We need to have PT boat entities that are going after some of the heads of these woke corporations, the BLMs, the Antifas, actually going after some of our political enemies. The republic is at stake. And if we do not take a more aggressive approach and continue to invest in conservative ink, I think it's all lost. This is why I wanted to have the conversation when I looked at when I read your piece, Ned, because to me, I, I, I'm all for what you're talking about. I, I've been, you have, I think, quantified more specifically a sentiment I've been trying to articulate uh, on my show for many years. But I think to get to where you want to go, I think we have to, we have, we need two things. Number one, and, I, and th these are the next two things I want to talk to you about. Let's take them one at a time. Number one, we need some accountability. All right. Yes. Like, like a lot of us owe a debt of gratitude. It for in the to the institutional history of Heritage Foundation. I've had upteen guests from Heritage on my show over the years. I've spoken there. I've been a guest there, like almost everybody in conservative media has. But the recent criticisms of what's gone on there, I think, are 100% right on the money. I also think we need right. to understand this isn't new. 15 years ago, not coincidentally, timed with knowledge that he wanted to then run for president, uh, they, they produced a white paper at Heritage that said suddenly, hey, uh, health care mandates and single-payer plans like we did it in Massachusetts, that could be a model for what we could do for the whole country. If Mitt Romney was not gearing up to run for president, they would have never freaking done stuff like that. The amount of retconning that goes on on the right in order to justify or parrot what our particular candidate or constituency is there's there's a little grifting on the left but there there's so much more in jihad and crusader mode that the amount we have going on on our side it's at least a hundred to one we have to wrestle with the accountability factor here yeah no absolutely i mean it, it's billions of dollars that have been put in even in the last 17 years as i point out in this piece and you're right i mean heritage deeply resents when i talk about this uh, on shows like this or on tucker and point out the fact that they have done some things that that not only are not conservative, they're deeply antagonistic towards conservatism, like obviously promoting Romney care, which, again, is the godfather, whether they choose to admit it or not, of Obamacare. And that's the thing that we have to have the conversation about. The investments that we have put in have not only been, I think, very poorly used, it's opportunity cost. As you put money into, let's face it, the wrong people with the wrong ideas and you get the wrong results. This is not rocket science. We have to start thinking about who is going to actually be a good investment to where we can actually win. And, and I've argued, Steve, too, in this, we should put together something like the Democracy Alliance, which is a group of lefty donors. They come together, they actually put together plans, and they put together a pool of investment. And they're starting to fund a lot of groups on the left at a 3 to $5 million range 
to allow them to build up and become more robust and to be able to self-fund, obviously, through their own fundraising programs. But it becomes this is the crazy part, Steve, that I tell people about a lot. The left is very entrepreneurial yeah. in its pursuit of status, exactly. whereas we are very much top-down yes. command and control in our yeah. support of some, some, you know, free market entrepreneurism. It's you, crazy. you even see this in the two parties. The collectivist party on the Democratic side, their state and local parties wield a lot of power. The National Party wields almost none, unless it puts its thumb right. on the scale for Hillary Clinton four years ago. On the Republican side, the state and local parties are, depending on who the chairman is, often very weak and just rotary clubs. It's the National Party that dictates everything from top on down the cultures are opposite of their own ecosystems ned yes but, but even more steve i mean the national party and i've had this conversation with people inside the west wing the rnc is dominated by a cabal of i would say corrupt consultants and they need to be run out of that building and i swear to god steve this is my goal when if trump wins re-election the party needs to have a remake and a redo in which it becomes an america first party but the only way you can do that and remove some of that top-down command and control is to remove that cabal of corrupt consultants has to be done if you're actually going to get a real America first party uh, with the Republican Party. Yeah, don't don't even get me started on the incestuous cabal <laughs> of GOP consultants. I've had more than my share of rows with them over the years. One other thing I, I need to ask you about, though, before we get out of time. Um, we've also, to do, I think, what you want to do, I think we need to change our paradigm, Ned. On the right, we have operated on an access-based uh, paradigm that we move policy and get people elected by having a seat at the table. On the left, they have primarily operated on a, that politics is a game of leverage. All right, and that leverage is what gives you the access, the the, the system's fear of you, that your ability to to extricate punishment uh, and and hold the system accountable. That is what gives you the access, is the leverage that you have. If you want an insurgency, we've got to practice, I believe, leverage-based politics, not access-based politics. And, the, and, and getting rid of that could cost a lot of people big paydays, Ned. No, I, I love that term. That's a great term. I, I'm probably going to steal it from you, Steve. By all means. Politics because yeah. this, is what, this is what Conservative Inc. has been doing. They've been playing access politics. We don't want to offend anybody. We'll come behind them and kind of support them so we can get access because then we'll have influence, which, of course, rarely ever happens. And I tell people the problem that you see in politics today is House members, Senate members, they fear leadership more than they fear you. Until they fear you, more than they fear leadership, guess mm-hmm. who's guess who's lead they're going to follow? It's mm-hmm. leadership, not you. And so there has to be, you either do what we ask, because that's what you said you were going to do. You promised us in your campaign you were going to fulfill these. And if you don't, we will find a primary opponent and run you out of office next time around. AMGreatness.com for American Greatness. That's the website. AMGreatness.com if you want to read this. And I would, I would urge you to do so. A new right grounded in insurgency thinking. Ned Ryan, thanks for joining us today, Ned. Really appreciate it. Good thanks, peace. Steve. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate that, it. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that conversation? Well, what do you always say about politics being a matter of will? I mean, we're, this, you, you've, wrote, you've written the columns. You've done the thinking on this that Ned is doing as well for a long time, which is why you made a lot of enemies for a long time. It's not new. It's still just the same problem. We just don't have the will to do it. It's, it's not, I think he said that, it's not rocket science. It's just about two different game plans. Look at the left's game plan and look at ours. It, it's, it, it's like you analyzing football. It's, there's no grand offensive no, scheme not. here it's at just a all. Matter of, it's, it's a matter of will. And, and we're out, we dictate our, the reason that we have, well, there's, you know, 
there's the there's the real reason we do things and then the right reason okay the 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 right reason that we have adopted an access-based model on the right is because we will our narrative our, our, our meta narrative is it's about winning elections okay that that you either you you either run for office to do things or you do things to run for office okay we we run for off to, for office to do things on our side they do things to run for office on the, so so we think we have to win okay uh, we have to win the election they view this in a generational prism on the other side and that's why they practice a leverage based system that and and th that now they have an advantage over us they can get a lot of their causes and things subsidized so their people can make a can make a living doing this and that and without having to sell out at all and so there's no real incentive for them to to sell out their base they can remain more ideologically pure because they're handed subsidies all the time like the teachers unions for example are in a subsidized industry as a pack basically we aren't provided that in many cases like nobody's handing the family leader here where we're broadcasting sharing office space with them no one's handing them a subsidy from the state of iowa or the federal government so everything they raise has to be original that does make it harder okay to, to practice an insurgency in a leverage based process and that's why i said to, that's why the first thing i said to ned was we need accountability because he i thought nailed it when he said do these donors know what happens to their money when they cut these big checks if we can show them the ineffectiveness of the money they're spending they may be more inclined than to adopt the kind of model we're talking about when we show them hey you're just throwing good money after bad you're, you're flushing money down a toilet you're not affecting any of the change you say that you want by cutting checks to these massive organizations that are getting you no results. Aaron, what do you think? So I, I think the reason, one of the reasons why we're in, in the position that we are, uh, at least from a voting perspective, is that because of the failures of, uh, of the conservative Inc. or conservatism Inc. that we talked about, because of the failures, voters then to support all of your white papers and think they're the fantastic ideas that they probably are, are left to motivate or are left to vote with only two motivations. No affirmative motivations for voting most times. One is fear and the other is resignation. Fear. The left keeps getting what they want. Resignation. They're going to get what they want, so I'm going to vote for this candidate who's a speed bump for them just out of spite. Fear and resignation is all that's left for the conservative voter because of the failures of Conservatism, Inc. to actually affirmatively work from within. And as you articulated well, and I don't know what more I can say, is that this, this conversation about leverage-based politics, leverage starts at a very personal, granular level. Yes. Very, very yeah. personal, granular level. The march through the institutions took place with a teacher here, a teacher there, a teacher here, a teacher there, a professor there, uh, an administrator over there, um, all working their own personal relationships as leverage. And now, tonight, Black Lives Matter is going to be stenciled on the mounds at your favorite ballparks. There's they your march. have the leverage. Exactly. They have the leverage. And the leverage is what gave them the access. That's the difference. Is the we, we're going to have to change our paradigm or we are politically going to be even worse than ineffective. E extinct.
We are back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV Radio Podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, and Aaron McIntyre. They are here with me as well at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, at Steve Dace on Parlor, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can get clips of this show for free that you can sample and share with others. And also, if you're a podcast listener, we appreciate you very much. Make sure to leave us a five-star review if you haven't already. Heck, do it again if you already have. And again, and again. Also, uh, click uh, that subscribe button for us. That helps us out as well. Uh, Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, three non-political questions, but let's get to this week's Theology Thursday brought to you by Keeps. Yeah, maybe you've noticed your hair is not looking as full as it used to. Losing your hair is no fun unless you intend for that to happen. Some guys just prefer bald. Uh, But let's talk about options. You can go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment prescription, then visit the pharmacy. Try not to go broke, though, as you avoid going bald. Or you can go to Keeps and do it all from the comfort of your own home. You'll get the same doctor-recommended FDA hair loss treatment, but Keeps offers the generic versions for about half the cost. And one more thing you're going to love about Keeps, it's all online. So you just have to answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you and then it's shipped right there discreetly to your door so why why are you waiting do it now not only are you getting the generic versions for cheaper but they're going to throw in this special deal on top of that half off your first order when you go to keeps.com slash grow half off your first order at keeps.com slash grow For Theology Thursday, I want to talk about a subject we have addressed in the past, but not from the angle that we're we're going to address it here. We've we've discussed the idea of um, racism, um, racial superiority, racial preference, uh, the the racialist agenda. Uh, We've discussed this theologically from a lot of different angles over the years on this show. God is no respecter of persons. We're all made in the the likeness and image of God. Um, He's counted uh, the hairs on each of our heads. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made, um, etc. But there was a column written yesterday that I think approaches this from a timely and unique vantage point. And, yeah, three white guys are going to address this. I'm, I'm always fascinated when somebody emails me and says, why would I listen to what you three white guys have to say on race? Well, first of all, I don't know why you would listen to us on anything. You should listen to us on this topic for the same, or, or not, for that matter. You should or should not listen to us on a topic for the same reasons you win any other topic. Now, I'm not sitting here saying there's there's perspectives on topics I can't possibly have, right? I can't let you know what it's like to be a scared, pregnant, and unmarried teenage girl. But I can let you know what it was like to be the son of a scared and unmarried, pregnant teenage girl. I can let you know what that was like. But yeah, so there are perspectives in terms of the experience associated with a principle that if you lack 
the life experience or exposure, you can't, you can, you can maybe quantify it intellectually, but you're going to have a very difficult time expressing it personally, right? Because you haven't lived that particular circumstance. Sure, but if a big white mob in Portland gets to burn the whole town down in right. the name of race, we get to have a little bit of a discussion there. Right. But ultimately, I would think that if you want, if, if, if you think that America is systemically racist, I don't. Do I think, but that's not the same as saying I don't think there's racism in America. I do. I just don't think it is systemic, meaning I, I don't think that you are, you are up against systems that are on purpose going up against you to marginalize you because of your race. I just don't. Um, I think you go up against individual people and ideologies that do. <laughs> A lot of times they're frankly from the left, <laughs> right? But um, I, I would think that we would actually be the target demo you'd want talking about these topics more often. Right. If you believe in systemic racism, we represent the majority in the country We're the yeah, the white population is declining, but it is the clear majority in the country. Still about two thirds of Americans are white. Only about 14 percent of Americans are Hispanic. Only about 12 percent are black. Single digits of Americans are Asian. So I don't I mean, to me, it's simple math. I mean, if you if you believe America is systemically racist, then how in the world would we confront this without the people that make up the still overwhelming majority of the people in the system itself, right? And the overwhelming majority of those people are of what color? White. So I, I would think you'd actually want us talking about it. doesn't mean you have to agree with us or, or, or not, but I would think we would be the very target demo you'd want talking about it. We represent the supposed systemic racist power base. Now we're just supposed to go away. There's actually a, a story or column in the New York Times today about that very thing. Just you're the problem, white people. You, you, you do-gooders. You, you can't have good intentions. Yeah, so, so that, then, then, we're, then, we're dealing, then we are dealing at that point with a systemic racism, right? Well, different, but, but, it, but, it, but it's yeah. coming from the other side exactly. of the street. But it is exactly. certainly systemic, right? Yeah. This though is is a unique chapter subtext in this conversation. You don't see very often, and the main reason you don't is because you don't have too many people that have the balls. The guy who wrote this yesterday has. That's why. Recently, I guessed on this show, Jason Whitlock wrote this column who's been for many years a renowned sports columnist pundit in america here's the headline sage steel and the holy war separating black people and jason writes espn anchor sage steals crime against blackness is her practice of christianity it's the same felonious offense that has actor terry cruz at odds with twitter's black culture overseers on Tuesday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Steele complained to ESPN President Jimmy Pitaro that her black colleagues excluded her from a recently aired television special exploring race. The Journal said on-air hosts Michael Eaves and Ellie Duncan told ESPN executives that black viewers wouldn't accept Steele's point of view. Steele is biracial and, as the host of the 6 p.m. Sports Center, which is one of the prime programs in all of the ESPN lineup, uh, she is one of ESPN's highest profile black broadcasters, alongside Stephen A. Smith and Michael Wilbon. Eves and Duncan are the light, bright, almost white heirs to the woke throne Jamel Hill and Michael Smith vacated. If the journal report is true, Eves and Duncan are using the George Floyd tragedy to dim diminish Steele, who replaced Hill on the 6 p.m. Sports Center. 
The daughter of a black army colonel, Steele has consistently questioned the appropriateness of athletes kneeling during the national anthem. So far, Steele has courageously refused to go along with the corporate mandated Black Lives Matter propaganda that white racism controls the destiny of black Americans. Steele, a Christian, believes God and her own behavior control her destiny. She does not reject the existence of anti-black racism. Here's what she said in a statement to the Wall Street Journal, quote, I found it sad for all of us that any human being should be allowed to define someone's blackness. Growing up biracial in America with a black father and white mother, I have felt the iniquities or the, 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 yes, the iniquities that many, if not all, black and biracial people have felt. Being called a monkey, the N-word, having ape sounds made as I walked by. Words and actions that all of us know sting forever. More importantly, trying to define who is and isn't black enough goes against everything we are fighting for in this country and only creates more of a divide, unquote. Steele's statement misdiagnoses the divide in the black community. The divide is between believers and non-believers, between those who practice the faith they profess and those who are content with just worshiping God. There is an enormous disconnect between the worship of God and the practice of the principles taught in the Holy Bible, the Quran, or the Torah. Worship is easy and fun. Practice is difficult and rewarding. The white Marxist financing and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement have recruited black worshipers to join forces with non-believers of all races in the reshaping of America. Inside the court of social media, Black Lives Matters and its appointed racial gatekeepers declared the practice of and adherence to the values taught in Christianity as crimes against blackness. It's a clever political strategy that provokes the abandonment of religious principles that inhibit sexual freedom and the disruption of the nuclear family. The next two paragraphs are cut and pasted from the Black Lives Matter website under what the organization believes. Quote, we foster a queer, I'm sorry, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure required by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he or she or they disclose otherwise. End quote. BLM, Whitlock goes on to say, is not hiding its agenda. Celebrities and religious worshipers are hiding theirs. Their support of BLM isn't rebellious, righteous, or pro-black. Their support is a grab for money and power. They sold out because Twitter and media executives reward their compliance and willingness to criminalize BLM conscientious objectors. Terry Crews committed felony assault when he cited his faith as reason for concern that Black Lives Matters might turn into Black Lives Better. Crews is a habitual criminal. He'd previously been convicted of felony arson when he stated children raised without fathers would be emotionally, quote, malnourished, unquote. Steele also is a multiple felon. When interpreting the sports world, she eschews race as her primary lens and instead prioritizes her Christian faith and American patriotism. Her worldview is unique from her black peers who primarily concern themselves with the reaction of Twitter. A practicing Christian would never embrace a narrative that white supremacy controls black destiny. Bigotry and unfairness are impediments, yes. Sins, though, no more harmful than lust, gluttony, and adultery. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31, Whitlock quotes. For a black media personality, acting on a Christian worldview is a crime, punishable by estrangement from your black peers. The journey of a practicing Christian should be lonely. 
The applause, corporate backing, and popularity reigning on the woke expo expose the fraudulence of their actions. That, folks, that is a force of nature, is what that is. And it, it exposes from the other side why, when we've talked about this, you know, there's been this move within the, the Christian church in America that people who particularly see this in American evangelicalism, and you see it a lot in the Southern Baptist Convention, there's a group of people who would consider themselves committed evangelicals. And didn't think Donald Trump had the character to be president in 2016. Didn't vote for him in 2016, and neither did I. Um, and were concerned that there were elements within the evangelical church that sought to dumb down our principles in order to justify Donald Trump. I agree, by the way. And there were, and there still are. And you see them on Fox News more than somebody like, say, me. But where they lost me is that they then decided that the antidote to this was to engage in another form of race baiting. Beth Moore just making multiple generic allegations of racism against the Christian church. And it was, what, a year or two ago? We, we did go to her. We practiced Matthew 18. We went to her ourselves, right? Correct. Hey, what are these examples? Can you show us these examples? Because if, if you can give us some specific examples, by all means, I've got a pretty large platform here. I'll, 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 not as large as Beth's, but it's, it ain't insignificant either. I'll, I'll certainly, I mean, I, I will, I'll certainly join in the casting out of, of, of such evil and wickedness. That I'm, all, I'm all in. Correct. Did we get any specific examples? None. None. Who's teaching white supremacy in the church? And, 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 and it bet, it's got to be somebody other than a dude with 14 people in some rural church somewhere that no one's ever heard of. Like, that, that's not an example of systemic racism. That's an example of an inbred uh, who, you know, that's on the fault of your denomination. If, he's, if, if you're still giving that guy a pulpit, and that, that's on you. No, no, show me the leader. Show me, show me, show me the person in charge of the, that, that, that is given a shepherd's role within the systemic operating of the church in America promoting this. Who is it? Who? Where are they? And so they decided that the answer to a, a justifiable concern you know, go back and listen to our shows in 2016. We've got a lot of new listeners and viewers right now. And we had a lot of these conversations in 2016. There was a, there was a clear generational divide. And I go back to a piece I've cited several times before. A great piece one of the Benham brothers wrote. Coming back from going to the massive confab with evangelical leaders that Trump had in May of 2016 after, uh, maybe it was June, after he became the presumptive nominee after Cruz dropped out. And one of the Benham brothers writes that he went there with his father, Flip Benham, who's a, just a great man, one of the founders of the original Operation Rescue, and then his son, who was going to vote in his first presidential election. 
Do you guys remember me talking about, remember us reading this piece at the time? And on their way, coming back from Trump Tower, they began to discuss what they had just witnessed and seen. And the dad flipped Benham from a baby boom generation and the Republican Party is, is, our, is the home of American evangelicals and it's our primary weapon politically to wield against what the left wants to do to America. Flip, again, who I can't say this enough because I, I do know Flip Benham. He is a great person. And But Flip is all in. He was, he, I mean, Trump had him at hello, right? He flipped the switch from whoever he was supporting in the primary, probably Cruz, to Trump. Switch was flipped automatic because this we cannot let these can't let Hillary Clinton win, right? The, the one of the Benham brothers, I don't remember if it was if it was if it was Jason or but wrote who's about our age is like, yeah, I'm gonna vote for Trump because I agree with Pops that we can't let Hillary win, but I gotta tell you, I'm really wishing we had better choices here, and I didn't come out of that event feeling you know, um, uh, singing the fight song, if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> all right? I mean. I'm going to root for my favorite team to win on game day still. I understand that, you know, the, how the world works, that, you know, we don't always get perfect choices around here, but this one seems a lot less perfect than several of the other ones I've been asked to make in recent years. He was he was in, but would have preferred another, another way. The son, who would be considered a millennial now, four years later, he'd be in that age group. This was his first presidential election. Looks at his old man and says, Pops, we ain't voting for that, right? Whatever that clown show was that you just took me to is a total repudiation of every lecture you ever gave me at the dinner table all these years. We're not supporting that, right? And you saw this generational divide at a lot of within a lot of the conservative political organizations. They had it here at the family leader. You'd have conversations in the hallway, right? And if it were the younger people on staff, they were far less forgiving of Trump's past, far less willing to sign on. And the older you went, the more forgiving and willing to sign on they seemed. You guys remember we did all these shows, right? Yes. Okay. And so there was some legitimate concern. Hey, within the church, how much should we politicize ourselves? And do we lose our witness and our ability to witness to the next generation if we get seen as strictly nothing other than a pack for the Republican Party? I mean, I think that's a worthwhile conversation to have, whether Donald Trump's your nominee or, you know, um, Billy Graham is, frankly. Okay. Because the church is supposed to be more than a a political, far more than a political action committee. Okay. So I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have that level of self introspection awareness at any point in time. But there's a group of these people that decided that the antidote to this, that that conversation wasn't good enough, that the, the gospel could not be trusted on its own. And so they needed to go the other direction and we're going to become race baiters now on the other side virtue signalers now on the other side and now there's a split about well how much do they really care about the witness of the church and how much were they really using this because they kind of are they're all in on reversing thousands of years of church teaching on the role of genders and the gender roles in the church for example that this was a canard all along right and so how many people have a sincere concern they're just misguided and then how many are using this as essentially um a false objection in order to uh, to bring uh you know bad teaching false teaching into the church right mm-hmm. i mean that that's been the source of how many articles and podcasts on the Southern Baptist Convention for the last four years, Aaron. Hundreds, probably, right? Okay. What, what, what Whitlock is pointing out 
is the skin color may be different, but the scam is the same. What he is saying is that Sage Steele is up against her own variation of this at ESPN. That as one of its most high profile black personalities, she is eager and willing to be outspoken about racial injustice and racial inequity. I mean, Terry Crews is on TV every week on one of the highest rated television shows in America. America's Got Talent every week. He's anxious to do the same. But what you're offering me, what you're offering me is a false choice. You're telling me, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to quote the great prophet Charles Barkley. I don't understand how hating people drives out hatred of people. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Now, I don't know. I don't know how much Bible Chuck knows. But Beelzebub doesn't cast out Beelzebub. Can I get a witness on that? A house divided against itself doesn't stand. We don't do evil so that God's grace may abound. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. I just cited like a half dozen scripture verses on this very topic. When I could have consulted the book of Chuck and Barkley's like, oh man, I'm just a dude from Alabama played basketball for a living and I don't understand how the answer to racism is anti-Semitism. I don't understand how casting out, we cast out hate by hating other people. I don't get that one. Yeah. That's pretty much what Terry Crews and Sage Steele are saying. They're saying the same thing that I was saying the last few years to the likes of Beth Moore and people like that in the evangelical church. Hey man, I, I get why you're totally concerned about, you know, I remember how we used to cringe at those clips of evangelical senior citizen women going on CNN. No way Trump slept with Stormy Daniels. And even if he did, she should have kept her mouth shut. Remember all that stuff? Sure. Right? It was just cringe inducing. Okay. I get all the concerns you have about that stuff. I totally get it. But you're, so let me get this straight though. Your answer to your concern about altering our standards for political access is you want to alter our standards for political access. How does that work? So you just, you want me to, you want me to, you want me to join your racialist agenda instead? You're, you're concerned of racial insensitivity within the white evangelical church. So your answer is to just automatically bear false witness against millions of white evangelicals that they are just systemically racist? How's that not racist then? Because it is. It's racist. You're promoting racism while claiming you're fighting it. And then your answers are often sound a lot like these secular lefties. Well, can you point out to me what I've done that's racist? The fact that you don't know is only signs of your systemic racism. Huh. I thought we weren't supposed to bear false witness. I, supposed to, I thought we were supposed to judge each other individually. Weird. I guess we're not. That's what Whitlock is writing here. That's what that's what Sage Steele and Terry Crews are rebelling against. They're, I'm more than happy to be a vehicle and a vessel to speak out against raci racism and racial injustice in America. But what you're asking me to do is promote an, a different religion. 
You're asking me to say that the God who made me in his image while making me black, I have to disobey him. I have to reject him in order to stand against the racism that he calls a sin. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to promote your sins to cast out sin. I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm not proposing your pet causes, which are really your pet sins, in order to address sin. I can because I can do it without you. I don't. I don't need you. I don't need to belong and conjoin to your group, to your new religion, your cult. I don't have to do that. I'm an individual. I can speak out on these things on my own, regardless of whether you accept me or not. Man, this is one of the most uniquely American pieces I've read in the media in a long time. The idea that we're a melting pot of unique individuals from unique backgrounds, perspectives, ideologies, etc. But there's a series of principles that unite us. that we think are generic or natural divine revelation about how common sense the world works, right? And we have justice in our country when we follow those principles and injustices when we don't. I mean, this this is, what he did here is take a schoolhouse rock episode and just like turn it into trigonometry. But this is basic American arithmetic, which is in this Jason Whitlock piece. But it is it is the lost art of the era in which we live. The idea that, and we have these this tribalism all over the culture now, the idea that unless I belong to your tribe and affirm every tenet of your tribalism, I cannot come together and agree with you on universal truth. That may be more than anything else other than we can't even agree on what universal truth is. Those two things threaten the very, you used the, the term granular level earlier, Aaron, they threaten us at a, at a granular, mic, atomic, subatomic level. If we can't overcome those two evils in our society, we're done. We are absolutely done. Gentlemen, your thoughts. First of all, this is why Jason Whitlock is quickly becoming the Tucker Carlson of the sports world. I mean, he, he just every day smashing idols. And secondly, it's what a, you got me thinking. What what's the most famous line in all of American racial history? Isn't it MLK? Uh, my yes. my children will be judged not by the color, color of their skin, skin but the content of the character. Of the character. Yeah. Well, this this is such a gross bastardization of that what what is being perpetrated against it's not it's now a certain kind of character has got to be attached to your race yeah so it's 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 not it's not just you know blind knee-jerk hayseed racism it's now nazi level racism that's what this is becoming it, it is absolutely that on steroids. As bad as the racism of the ignorant generations were, it was very, uh, and it was absolutely systemic uh, in its nature, but it was so crude. It was so base. Now, 
it has been weaponized at a ridiculous level. Sage Steele, you must believe these shibboleths of the damned if you are authentically back. Yes. It's hideous. Yeah. Yep. And, and this is, uh, you know, aside from revival, and I think maybe this is, is part of what a revival looks like, because at the end of the, th- at the, end of the day, there is nothing aside from revival that that will uh, essentially save us from ourselves corporately as a as a people there's nothing there's nothing else but this does at a political level go back to the conversation we had just a segment ago understanding that our opposition seeks to destroy us what started with with um with with you know racism and this uh, notion of uh white privilege things like that after we had fought a civil war, after we had the civil rights rights marches, and yes, we still have uh, have um, black young women, um, uh, men and women, who have grandparents who experience things that they can never probably even uh, imagine right now. What started though as a hairline fracture, just maybe a decade or two ago, about this white privilege is now the Grand Freaking Canyon. And the people on the other side of the Grand Canyon can't abide even us being on the other side. They want to destroy us, and they will keep dividing us until they get their way. We'll switch gears. Three non-political questions next when we return here on The Steve Day Show. Stay tuned. While we're on the subject of masks, before we get to three non-political questions, there's a study going around today that I'm, I'm seeing being shared on social media from uh, Norway's Public Institute of Health. And I've read through the study, too, well, at least the part that I could read. It's, it's, it's final conclusions it were printed in English, but the rest of the study is in Norwegian, which apparently I'm not very fluent in, I discovered today. So I, I, I can't get to how they came to their conclusions. You know what I'm saying? I can't follow their mental arithmetic. But I did get a chance to read their final conclusions. And what they found is, in the controlled study that they looked at in Norway, is that it would, it would require properly masking. Uh, and properly is is something they... Uh, they stress in this study's findings that most people don't know how to wear a mask, how to fit it properly. Taking it off, removing it, it diminishes its, its uh, you know, uh, efficacy. Things we've all talked about before, right? Uh, but what they found is the ratio, given their current epidemiological curve, that it would require properly masking 200,000 people to prevent one infection in Norway. Efficient. Yes, which is why they didn't recommend it. Okay. Now, before we promote this, okay, as a rebuke against masks, I think it is important to note, because again, I'm not out to get masks. Pardon me. I'm out to not fall for the banana in my tailpipe. Okay. Listen, if we get a controlled study that I can actually read through and see that it's not a crock, and it shows that masks work, you're going to probably hate me that day. All right? I'm going to go where the data is. That's where I, 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 I didn't take this position for, I had no idea what it was going to do to my career. Frankly, at the time, I thought, if anything, it could ruin it. Um, <laughs> I, I did all I've done the last six months because I've been following the data for five months now. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to follow that all the way to the end. 
So you show me some real data that masks work, I'm going to be like, guys, I think we got to put the diaper on our face to get our country back. Okay? So I'm just warning you now. Um, and you guys have worked with me long enough to know, I will not sit here and uh, fillet this audience. I won't do it. I won't do it on any level at all. I got, I got into this job to tell you what I think is true. If I find out the data shows that masks can help, then that's what I'm going to say. Okay? Um, but we don't have that data, which is why I don't. I'm not anti-mask. I'm anti-BS. That's what I'm anti. So that's why I want to point this out to you about this study out of Norway today that maybe you're seeing get shared. It is important, and that's why I made sure when I tweeted it out, I pointed this out. It's important to know the distinction that in Norway, their epidemiological curve is vastly different than ours. Right now, Norway is reporting 1,600 cases per 1 million people. We're reporting about 19,000. Now, though, as because we were talking about this study before we went on the air today. Now, the case could be made, though. And, and I don't know this because I can't read Norwegian. <laughs> So I don't know why, where they came up with the 200,000 ratio to one, okay? I don't know where they came up with that. That's just what's in the findings. I don't know how they came to that number. The, what could happen, though, is the reason they came to that number. This is also possible. Because you can't just, until we know, we can't just prorate it and say, okay, well, we're at 1,600. They're at 1,600 per million. We're at 19,000. They're at about 8% of the of the case rate that we're at right now so let's just prorate another 92 percent. and here's how many people in america would have to wear masks to stop and if, we can't do that okay because we don't know how they came to the 200,000 number because it's also possible that the way they came to the 200,000 number is they were factoring in population density when they came to that number see what i'm trying to say yeah and so course. the 200,000 to one becomes more universal because that's what that's where could you also go back last week on the overtime when we ran through the mask requirements in every European country and there were not nearly the mask mandates that a lot of our media is telling our people that there aren't right, that many mask course. mandates in Europe, but pretty much every place did mandate masks where public transport, public transport, mass transit, public transportation, because people are piled on top of each other in those settings. Right. So maybe the way the reason Nor Norway came up with 200 to one is because in higher population density settings, then they would be more effective because the people are so much closer together. But if that's the case and you're looking at a 200,000 to one ratio, that's not that's not feasible either. But we don't know the answer to that. Okay? I'm just saying that the way they came up to that number could work, if you're anti-mask, could work both for or against you, depending on where they came up with the 200,000 to, to, stop, to, to stop one infection number. I don't know that, because I don't know how to read Norwegian, so I can only read what's in the final conclusion. This sounds like a very grown-up conversation about science that I'm convinced by people like Jake Tapper, we're just not allowed to have these days. No, no, no. We're going to have it on this show, and then we'll see how many people want to watch and listen to it, right? We're going to have it on this show. Yeah, but I agree. That look it, at the it, give it, and the take there. I mean, yeah. honestly, but you're simply, you, you you need to be told you still want to kill old people by daring to have distinctions yes. there, yeah. Steve. I'm, I'm open to the fact they may work. I just, I, I'm, I don't, the people who keep promising us they do are acting, though, as if they don't. Exactly. Okay. We can't reopen the country, but wear a mask. 
so we can reopen the country. If masks will help us to reopen the country, why don't we just reopen the country then right now? If we can all wear masks, then what? Just open it up now and then we'll all wear masks. Well, we, we, we masks stop the spread of the virus, but you can't see your loved ones in a hospital. What's a more damn controlled setting in American culture than a hospital? I mean, what, what other than, other than, you know, a, a chloroformed lab, except in Wuhan, China, apparently, other than a, other than a lab, what, what other setting in America is, is, is less conducive or more prepared for the slow of contagion than an actual hospital? So if I can't wear a mask in a hospital and go see my, my, my grandbaby in the nursery or a loved one who's dying, if the mask doesn't work in the hospital, then where the hell would it work? It works. It won't work at the hospital, but it works at Walmart. It won't work at the hospital, but it works if I eat inside at Chick-fil-A. What? It won't work in a hospital. It works at the bar. That doesn't make any sense, guys. So I'm not the one casting doubts on the efficacy of masks. The people promoting them are because they then turn around and tell us to act opposite in ways we should be acting if the masks work. If they work, we should be doing the opposite of what we're doing. If they work, we should be reopening more, not less. If they work, we should be able to go see anybody in a hospital we want. Not never. Doesn't make any sense. You, I'm fine believing they work. I'm just not sure you actually do. While telling me you're certain, you're certain of it. It doesn't make any sense, right? If the masks work, then why aren't there any fans in the stands at the Major League Baseball game? Just put everybody in a mask then. So the masks protect the players when they're wearing them in the dugout, but they wouldn't protect you sitting in the stands? Does that make any sense to you? No. So the players are on top of each other in the dugout, sweating all over each other, touching every piece of equipment, and the masks in the dugout protect them. But if we're, but but if one third of us are sitting in a forty thousand seat stadium, completely spread out, wearing masks, that wouldn't save us. I told you. Does I'm that make the, any sense? I'm with the Irish guy in the montage. All right, let's get to three non-political questions brought to you by Rough Greens Vita Smart. If you're wondering why you're buying so many supplements today, it's because your food, we humans anyway, it's been stripped of all that good stuff, the prebiotics, the probiotics, the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, omega oils, antioxidants, all those good things we need for long shelf life to make it cheaper and more profitable. Same things happen to the dog's food, too. Your pet's dry food is missing those ingredients as well. And that's where Rough Grains Vita Smart comes in because it's not a new dog food. It's a premium dog food supplement. It's a powder that apparently tastes great because our dog, Cap, absolutely loves it. You just put it on the food your pet already loves. And watch and see if you don't see a difference in the health and happiness of your pet in 14 days or less. You can get the Rough Greens 14-day jumpstart bag today. If you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze, roughgreens.com, they spell it R-U-F-F, by the way, roughgreens.com slash blaze. It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. You've remarked repeatedly that the uh, first SARS virus started to die out. 
in uh, in late July. Yes, through August. In yeah. fact, you mentioned that earlier in the show. Yeah, that's I did. another another deja vu part of this. You know, uh, it's really really cool timing that all these mask mandates widespread. I mean, Ohio and Indiana now have uh, compelling mask use. Um, in the heat of the summer. In the heat of the summer. I see you're it's going, funny. Yeah. It's funny that all of these are coming out just when you would expect the virus to die out if it follows the same course as the first SARS virus. And so far, by the way, it has. Yeah. All right. Cases began spiking around the world in March of 2003. It was gone. I mean, the timeline of the first SARS and this one is eerily similar. It's, now, let's hope the end game is similar. But what you're saying is they'll say then, hey, yeah, the mass made it die out. It's the unfalsifiability yeah, fallacy so again. Yeah, forever so it never again, comes back, right? It was the same I thing with the lockdowns. Yeah, same okay. thing with the lockdowns. Three non-political questions because we need an escape from mask manda- madness because we needed an escape from COVID madness as well. Question number one, who's on your Mount Rushmore of major league pitchers? Based on favorability, Nolan Ryan's on it. I just love me some Nolan Ryan. Okay. Nolan Ryan's on my list. Randy Johnson would be on my list. Greg Maddox would be on my list. And I got to go somebody old school. Chilling. Um, Nah, Kurt would kill me if I put my... Kurt knows he doesn't belong on the list. I love him to death. If I put Kurt Schilling on my Mount Rushmore of all-time pitchers, he would walk from his rural Massachusetts farm to come here and whip my ass. Okay? No, he knows he he doesn't belong on the list. That's pandering. But I would put Greg Maddox on the list. I'd put Randy Johnson on the list. Uh, I'd put Nolan Ryan on the list. And then do I go like really old school like Cy Young? Um, Sandy Koufax? Um, you know what? I'll honor one of Schilling's rules that that he doesn't really consider records in the pre-segregation era, which you know means like no Babe Ruth, I guess, right? But um, you go Bob Gibson. This is a tough one. You just. Is, is that your fourth? Is you've Gibson? Taken, no, you've taken two of them. I was going to have Koufax and Gibson. I was thinking right. of Koufax or Gibson for the fourth one, if I was going to do an old school choice. All right? So I'll do Koufax and you can have Gibson, unless you're going to put them both on there. I was going to put them both on okay. there. Okay, yeah. all right. So I'm going to go Koufax, Ryan, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox. That's where I'm going to go. I was going to at least go 50-50, so I've got those two from okay. the past. But I also have uh, uh, Greg Maddox. And, boy, I mean, if it wasn't for the steroid head that he turned into you know Roger, Roger Clemens. Clemens but yeah. I mean it's just yeah. he's such, became such an appalling yeah we don't know what's live or what's Memorex uh, now yeah. human being um, but I'll uh, you know the guy I just put a guy from memory it's 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 not a uh, it's different from Maddox it's Maddox is very much regular season and not so much in the postseason postseason from growing up uh, Dave Stewart on the A's I hear you. just a yeah. boss now if we're doing postseason pitchers on, on Mount Rushmore I'm putting Shilling on that list Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he yes. belongs to that one. Sure. Uh, for me, these are just my own, and I'm not above shameless pandering, but I think Schilling's on there just because I know him and he's good. I mean, bloody freaking sock. Come on. Uh, and then also for me, two Cardinals pitchers, uh, Isringhausen, their closer for a number of years, Chris Carpenter, their ace for a number wow, of years. That's, that's total pandering. And then uh, isn't uh, Doc Ellis, is he the one that did LSD and pitched or did some sort of drug and then pitched? I don't know. I think. But you lost me at Jason oh, Isringhausen. You don't know he is, but as long as you yeah. did LSD, that's your guy. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty amazing. You got to admit it. Pretty amazing. Jason Isringhausen. 
on your Mount Rushmore of pitchers. Yep. Yeah. Closer. He's a closer. Um, let's wow. see. Now, question number two. What's one product that's made your life demonstrably easier? DVR. Unquestionably. Made me a better dad, person, everything. <laughs> it has, man. Changed my life. No doubt. TiVo, now DVR. Changed my life. The ability to not have to be in front of something to make it. Yeah, you could VCR stuff, but if I, but you couldn't then, as it was recording, go back and watch it in the beginning at real time. You know what I'm trying to say? Okay. Sure. So the ability to just cut down on time where um, I can still pursue a lot of my sports hobby pursuits and everything else and have it just not get in the way at all of all the other things I need to do as a father and a husband. TiVo DVR. Most life-changing um, uh, creation invention for me in the last 20 years. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this the other day. I love that answer so much. <laughs> um, the, uh, it's, um, and I said it with conviction, too, and instant. Oh, so you I know, know I meant it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's the, it's um, directions on your phone. GPS. I mean, it's. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Honestly, how did we ever get anywhere? Remember pulling over to get directions? How did we get anywhere? I know. I I mean, I I just drive to enough cities now because of soccer and, you know, big cities where you're just not familiar with and this exit and these. Really? And it would have been. It's a level of chaos. I'm surprised we endured as a species. Probably we were better off for just having to. Now we're just soft, I guess. Yes, I hear you. Yeah, that was going to be mine as well. Oh. I, I mean, as as soon as uh, or as recently as college, I didn't have a phone with with data on it yet, and so I I was like, I would look on the computer at Google Maps ahead of time and basically memorize how I was getting from one side of the Twin Cities to the other or yeah. wherever. And it's yeah. just, it's ridiculous to think about doing that now. Question number three: If you could have and use the primary tool of any superhero, complete with all the powers that comes uh, along to wield it, what would it be? Green Lantern. Power ring. Yeah, I knew it was going to be the case. Automatic. Again. My, you know how many times I've, my son Noah has asked me in his 13 years if I could have one superpower, what would it be? And my answer has been the same one every time. Now he has to ask me, all right, excluding the Green Lantern power ring, what superpower would you have? But it's it's the Green Lantern power ring is what it would be. Because I just love the idea of the diversity of the constructs and everything, what it can do, and the fact that it is tied directly to your courage of will strength of will i love that aspect of it so it's the green land and power ring for me uh can it be captain america's serum yep. i'll take the serum you want the serum yeah uh for me it's mjolnir thor's those, hammer those are both good too yeah I, I dude i could totally do the captain america serum the super soldier serum oh yeah i could see that I'd too be down with yeah. that all right, we're going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, we are back at it again tomorrow with the Dace Group, our week in review roundtable, plus Feedback Friday. Make sure you don't miss it. Noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV radio and then podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.